Hey guys, love that you're listening to the podcast. As you probably know, Spencer and I have really been working on growing our social media presence, and we'd greatly appreciate if you took... What's up, Pickleheads? Welcome to the Picklehead Podcast, where we talk about everything pickleball. Today, just like the subject says, we're going to be talking about dinking. So we're going to be talking about the what, the why, the how, and everything in between to help you guys hopefully not only improve your dinks, but even if you're a beginner player, learn how to dink properly. So we're super excited to be with you. Thanks for joining us. I love it, Oz. Yeah, let's talk about first number one, the what. What is a dink? Uh, don't worry, if you're if you're a beginner, you'll love this. If you're an advanced player, you're also going to love this. We'll try to go over the basics, but also go into detail about some of these items. But we want to give you uh, uh, six points about the dink, like Austin mentioned. So the what. In pickleball, a dink refers to a soft and controlled shot played close to the net. It is a technique used to keep the ball low and near the net, making it difficult for the opponent to attack or hit a powerful shot in response. The dink is an important skill in pickleball as it allows players to maintain control and set up strategic plays during a rally. So uh, when I was first introduced to pickleball and I saw people dinking, mainly senior citizens, no offense to any of them, I was like, what, <laughs> what are they doing? I, I don't uh, I don't get it. I'm just gonna, with a little bit of a tennis background, I'm just gonna pound the ball, and I'm and I'm gonna win. But then when you go and play someone that knows how to dink and how to dink properly, um, you're quickly humbled. Uh, at, at least most people are. And so, the dink. Exactly. What is a dink? Like like I explained, um, we're just we're just tapping it over the net. We're trying to get into the kitchen or the non volley zone on the other side of the net. And the main purpose of that, of what that dink is, is so that somebody, you know, the opponent on the opposite end doesn't pounce on the ball. We're trying to make them hit up on the ball. So if we can keep it low over the net and shallow, um, you know, maybe they won't pounce on it. So, so that's basically what a dink is. It's a soft shot over the net. Oz, what do you have to add to that about what a dink is? Yeah, you nailed it on the head with everything about what it is. Um, the reason that we want to dink is to make sure... It was interesting. Right when I started playing pickleball, I thought the same thing Spencer thought. And this is probably what every single person that doesn't play pickleball and comes from most other sports, especially tennis or other racket sports, is like, what are those nerds doing over there <laughs> dinking it back and forth? Why don't they just speed it up and hit the ball hard at the person? And win the point that way but a dink keeps that ball low and since it's below the level of the net you have to hit up from there so if you hit up it's pretty much like hitting an overhead to your opponent so learning how to dink is the number one best thing you can do for your pickleball game and pickleball in specific because like spencer said you have the kitchen where you can go you can step into the kitchen and dink so long as you don't hit the ball out of the air so if the ball bounces you can hit the ball off of the bounce and step into the kitchen. But if the ball doesn't bounce, you can't step into the kitchen and hit that ball out of the air. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't see nearly as much dinking and you would see people like right up against the net all the time. So there's that seven foot barrier on both sides 
that makes it so that you can't go all the way up to the net and speed ups just really aren't uh, like what you'd see in tennis with people hitting the ball so hard like that. So a dink is an opportunity to keep the ball low, stay in the point, and try to make your opponent pop the ball up. Absolutely, yeah. So so we have the why and we have a little bit, I'm sorry, we have the what and, and a little bit of the why of why we dink. Um, like I mentioned, for me, it was kind of, uh, so we'll go into number two, which is, which is a little bit more of why we dink. I know we've touched on it briefly. Uh, again, when I was first introduced to pickleball, I didn't quite understand why people were dinking. And so the first thing that I did was I was like, okay, I'm losing, uh, to these better players or these players that have maybe not necessarily great players, but players that have played for a little bit longer than me. I'm losing, so maybe I should uh, dink. Not understanding why I needed to dink, not understanding the benefits of the dink, but just because other people were doing it. So I don't advise that somebody dink just because other people are doing it. Um, And that's part of what this podcast is for, is let's understand why we're dinking. Let's make it beneficial for us instead of just dinking for no reason. So when I first started... I was getting like some high balls that I probably could have attacked, but instead of attacking those balls, I was still dinking those balls, still not really understanding why I needed to dink. Um, and then, and then the other point that I was going to make is, uh, so lower level players, I put here, if, if, if you're not dinking and you're noticing the opponent cannot handle the heat, by all means, don't dink. So when you're playing at a real low level and, hey, you're just having fun, you're, this is rec play and you just want to have fun and you don't want to dink and, and you're just going to beat them, that's fine. But the problem with that is if you want to step up a level or you want to start playing with better players or you want to start playing tournaments, you're going to want to learn to dink. Because um, if you're attacking everything against somebody that's mid-level or high-level, I would say anywhere from 3-5 and up. We could even say from 4-0 and up. If you're trying to attack everything, um, you're, you're not going to do very well in those tournaments. So you should definitely dink, like Austin mentioned, so that we're not popping the ball up for the opponent to attack. As far yeah. as why to dink, point two, Austin, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Right when I first started playing... Everybody just said, man, if you can learn how to dink, because I come from a tennis background, they're like, you could be one of the best people here if you can just learn how to dink. And I just didn't get it. I was like, <laughs> like well, how do I dink? Kind of like, do I just hit it over the net over and over and over again and then never speed it up or anything like that? I just didn't get it. So I would speed it up way too often, and I would hit it to my opponents, and it would end up in a hand battle and sometimes I'd come out on top. Sometimes I wouldn't just because of my tennis background, I already had that experience, but I would speed up as soon as I sped up a ball that was below the level of the net, I'm losing that point 90% of the time. And once I started playing against four, five, five Oh level area, I would lose these hand battles because I would speed up a ball that was below the net and it just didn't make any sense. And it, and it kind of brings um, to my my memory, whenever I'm playing against lower level players, I have to make a conscious effort 
to remember to dink because they don't want to dink. So I think to myself, I'm going to reset and I'm going to dink and play smart until I get a high ball and then I'll speed it up. A ball that's high is anything almost net height or above. Those are the only balls that I'm going to speed up. And a lot of the time when I'm playing with lower level players, I will speed up those balls that are low because I can still win the point because I can rely on my hands and I'm at that 5-0 level. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I can take these guys. Then I go play with my 5-0 friends the next day and I'm not nearly as good because I'm making horrible decision after horrible decision after horrible decision. Yeah. So I think remembering the why behind the dink is you really can't make it to that next level unless you understand dinking and not speeding up balls that are are below the level of the net because ultimately you're going to form bad habits of just continuously speeding up the ball. So just catch them in the beginning, learn how to dink. You want to view the court as kind of a chess match where you're placing the ball to make your opponent uncomfortable. So you're trying to dink it to their backhand and then pull them out wide. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that throughout this podcast, where we want to dink to and stuff like that. But I think that that's something that's helpful is just maintaining the focus. No matter who you're playing against, you have to dink. Yeah, I like it. And and a little bit more on the why. I guess we could say there's, if we wanted to narrow it down to two main reasons, uh, one of which, well, let's call it defense and offense. And Oz, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Austin is is the better player, the better coach. But if we wanted to narrow it down to two things on why we dink, I would call it defense and offense. Defense because we're trying to keep the ball low so that the, the opponent doesn't attack us. But at the same time, we want to dink so that hopefully the opponent, who's maybe not as good as dinking, or maybe we put it in a good spot, does pop the ball up so that we can attack it. So turning yeah. defense into offense. So, so the two main reasons, at least, at least for me, would be uh, at the beginner level, defense. Hey, we don't, want it. we don't want to be attacked too much. Let's keep that ball low. And as you advance, let's move the ball around a little bit. Let's make them uncomfortable so that we can get some offense when they pop the ball up to us. Does, does that make sense, Oz? Yeah, and I guess just a quick tip to build off of that. It's super simple, but this is something that I would do in tennis is I would pick a spot above the net to hit to, and then I would continue to hit that spot. So like I would aim for a spot in tennis three feet above the net rather than aiming for a place in the court to hit. And if you continue to aim that same distance above the net and hit that same distance above the net, you'll continue to hit the court, hit in the court in the same spot, if that makes sense. Yeah. Rather than thinking, I'm going to hit it, or if we were thinking in dink terms, uh, I'm going to hit it in the kitchen right here in front of me. You can't aim for that because there's a net in the way. So you want to yeah. aim for a spot that is above the net consistently so i like to pick a spot like two to three inches above the net and then we'll talk kind of how i guess is what we're heading into is how to do the dink so spencer you want to build off of how you dink yeah and and one more point on that like you said that net can really be a nuisance sometimes mm -hmm. uh, just be in there in the way so yeah like you said uh, that that's a great thing to do uh, another thing that i learned with dinks and with drops, we're not going to get into drops today, but that's where I learned it is someone had taught me to pretend that there's like an extra string above the net. Yeah. Um, 
you can pick the inches as, as you get better and then you can slowly bring the level of the ball down. But pretend that there's something just above the net and that's, like you said, where you're aiming so that the ball can fall consistently in the same spot. Yeah, I love so, that. So, all right, number, number three, how to dink. Um, so we've covered the what, we've, we've covered the why, and we'll cover more of those. Uh, so number three is the how. So there's, there's more shoulder involved than there is wrist. If you want consistency when you're dinking, uh, we typically, for those that are watching, want to keep our wrist straight, whether it's a backhand dink or, or whether it's a forehand dink. We want to keep our wrist uh, as straight as we can possibly keep it so that we don't have that wobble or that variance of where the ball might go as we're moving our wrist because our arm can be a lot steadier um, than our wrist can be. Austin, I want you to talk about that a little bit because uh, you, you have a lot of that dinking experience. I, I know we use the wrist sometimes, but we'll, but we'll keep it somewhat basic here. How much, how much shoulder to wrist do you use if, if you're comparing the two? Um, and I would say almost no wrist, but what do you do yeah. on your end? Yeah, I would say no wrist um, other than I will lock my wrist back when I'm pulling someone out wide with a dink. So I'll lock my wrist in locked positions called cocking your wrist. And I'll do that with my backhand dink so that I dink it cross court. Um, so if I was on the odd side, I'd be dinking it back to the odd side because I'm a right-handed player. So I'll cock my wrist back and then I keep my wrist cocked throughout the motion. I'm not breaking my wrist throughout the motion. Um, mm -hmm. And then more importantly is my grip pressure as I'm dinking. I'm lifting from the shoulder, just focusing on the shoulder. I'll have a bend in my elbow. But more importantly, what I'll be focusing on is height above the net that I'm hitting to and my grip pressure. And out of five, five being like really gripping on to my paddle and a one being holding on with like uh, two fingers or something like that. I'd be at uh -huh. about a two out of five. So I'd be really relaxed with my grip pressure, nice and calm and relaxed. And that's just going to help you to be more consistent as you're soft on your grip pressure. Because as you tense up, that's what's going to cause errors. And it's going to cause the ball to sit on your paddle for a longer period of time and kind of flick up. So it'll cause a lot of pop-ups is what they're called. People will be able to put those away. So I'd say the thing that I focus on more is just staying relaxed as I'm hitting dinks, and then, like Spencer said, lifting from my shoulder, I cock that wrist back. On my forehand, I'll cock my wrist back. But I really don't have any forward to backward motion as I'm hitting my dinks. It's what I call a windshield wiper when I'm doing a topspin dink, which is more advanced, which I wouldn't suggest starting with. But I'll cut up the ball, kind of brushing the back of the ball like I was giving the ball a haircut with my forehand side or with my backhand side. And I'll keep my wrist cocked backwards as I do that. But the way that I started was just lifting up at the ball. And I still do this a lot of the time, but sometimes I'll hit topspin to hit a more aggressive dink. But I will just lift, have a nice loose grip pressure, lift up from my shoulder, slight bend in my elbow, and I'm just going from A to B. I'm not going A, B, C, D, E all the way up. I'm just trying mm -hmm. to keep it nice and concise with about a foot variance, depending on where I'm where I'm heading to. 
if that makes sense. So I'm not doing a large stroke. It's just nice and controlled, relaxed, A to B. No, those are all good, really good points. So wrist, we try to keep our wrist straight. Grip pressure is huge. We don't want it. We, we don't want the ball to be flying off there because then we're not able to dink. So like you said, like a two out of five, or if you want to make it out of 10, you know, it's a three or four as far as pressure out of 10. Yeah. And then you mentioned lifting the ball. Let's talk about us lift dinks versus push dinks. So a lift dink, we're basically uh, lifting the ball up over the net. This is um, this doesn't have as much pace on it. So this is a ball that we're just that we're just putting over the net, right? Whereas push dinks have more pace, and we're kind of putting more pressure or more offensive. Uh, movement on the opponent so i would say that the lifting is is definitely more defensive but it's it's a lot uh you're a lot less prone to errors whereas the push dink you're putting more pace on it you're causing maybe causing more errors on the other end but maybe not quite as much consistency on your end at, at least not in the beginning yeah um when Oz, would you use a lift dink versus when you would uh, a push dink? Yeah, when I'm looking for an offensive, when I get an offensive opportunity, I'm going to use more of a push dink where I'm going to come over the ball hitting topspin because that's what I'm trying to do as I dink is get the opponent to pop the ball up and give me a better opportunity to hit the ball down at their feet, initiate a hand battle, whatever it is come out on top of of the point so it would be a more offensive opportunity like spencer was saying and it would also be i would do a lift dink in a defensive position and that's what i'd suggest to newer players is just strictly lift dinks and then focusing on placement of the ball and moving your opponent around with just lifting the ball rather than coming over because you're going to be very inconsistent with this until you get ten thousand reps of it so that's something that you should do when you're drilling with your drilling partner or going against a wall or playing against a ball machine is practicing shots like that. But as you're playing in rec games and stuff like that, I would just suggest lifting. But the most important thing is lifting with a purpose, moving your opponents around, trying to create the point, and then it'll teach you new things. Also watching the pros, just seeing where they dink to, but focusing more on position rather than the more advanced of the two shots. Yeah, and like you said, with with a purpose, let's dink with a purpose. Let's decide what we're doing. So as a beginner, like Austin said, start out with just lift dinks. And I would even suggest if you're, you know, if you're definitely starting from the beginning, dink to the same place, especially in drilling. I can't stress drilling enough. I would suggest, and I'm sure Austin would too, I don't even have to ask him, that you drill more than you play. Um as a beginner and as an advanced player. Yeah. But uh lift so with these lift dinks, lifting it, um dinking to the same place over and over as you get more comfortable, more confident, um more consistent, then you can start uh we'll talk about moving the opponent around. So you can dink to their inside foot, you can dink to their outside foot, you can dink to their body. Sometimes people aren't used to, uh, many times, people aren't used to moving their feet. 
and you realize that as you move the move the ball around, even with lift inks, we'll talk about with push dinks in just a minute. But even with lift inks, as you move the ball around, your opponent uh, does start to feel that pressure, causing them to to pop it up a little bit more. Um, so again, I would I would stress in the beginning. Get your consistency down. Go to the same spot over and over if you need to. Pick that same spot over the net, like I said, over and over if you need to. And then over time, you can start moving the ball, still hitting lift dinks, not, not with a lot of pace, picking that same spot, and then moving that spot. You know, Maybe you pick three spots on the court, one in front of you, one cross court, and another one in the middle, uh, and slowly get to a spot where then now we're we're pushing it yeah so we're putting a little bit more pace on it we're putting a little bit more top spin on the ball um let me talk about top spin for just a minute um, some people may be well versed in it others not as much so top spin meaning that the ball is rolling forward as we hit it so we need to catch the ball from underneath and slowly roll it forward if we give it too much top spin it's going down into the net so our paddle face needs to be uh, somewhat here. I actually have a paddle with me. But when we're when we're hitting top spin, we want to hit so as the ball will go over the net, but then dip once it goes in. Yeah. Um, and then back spin would simply mean the ball is spinning backward. Instead, we're hitting the ball with our paddle somewhat in a downward motion so that the ball can spin off backwards. So forward and down to get your backspin, and then forward and up to get your to get your topspin. Os, will you go into a little bit more detail about uh, how you hit topspin and how you hit backspin? Because yeah. I learned a lot more um, watching you do it than I did trying to do it myself. Yeah, same with me. I, I learned a lot more watching pros do it. Um, just building off of what you said before is pra practicing hitting to the same spot consistently over and over again. When you guys are getting into rec games, what you want to focus on and what I focus on is a specific shot that I'm working on. So in this instance, it's dinks. So during that rec game, maybe I get a high ball. I will still dink it in just because that's what I'm focusing on. And you obviously don't want that to turn into a bad habit where it's like you get an overhead and you don't hit the overhead. Instead, you hit a dink. Right. That doesn't make right. any sense. But but you should be focusing on throughout your rec game play. You should be focusing on specific shots that you're working on. And then those shots will get so much better as time goes on. The one that I struggled with the most transitioning from tennis wasn't typically what I think people struggle with, but it was recognizing which balls to speed up and, and which balls to dink. I would just speed up stupid balls mm -hmm. or I would get an opportunity to speed up a ball and I wouldn't recognize it until it had passed, and I would dink it back. So I think starting like that is totally fine, and it's going to help improve your dink tenfold, but also focusing on, um, as time goes on, focusing on speeding up balls that make sense to speed up. And the best way to do that is whoever whoever's the best player there, ask them questions. Don't be afraid to ask them questions. I've asked so many questions like, hey, how did you know to speed that ball up. How did you see that as the opportunity to go there or whatever it is? Because people are willing to help and it's probably going to make that person feel like really, really good and really like you too because 
They'd be like, oh, man, these guys trust me. They think that I'm a really great player. So I think that that's really important. Whoever's the best player there, ask them specifically whatever it is that you're struggling with, how you can improve on it, and you'll just get better and better. And that's what I've been continuously trying to do throughout my pickleball journey. Yeah, I've had it. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, one more point with that. I mean, that's that's a great point. Um is to be humble in the beginning. You know, you come from another sport. You're like, this person's older than me. This person's not as athletic as me. And then you get crushed by them. Um, it juices their ego, and they are much more willing to help you if you ask them for help. Like, go. Um, typically, before I ask someone for help, I'll say, I noticed that you hit this ball, like, super well, and I have no idea how to do that. Can you teach me how you do that? You know, just like you said, um, Nine times out of ten, they're going to be very willing to help you, even super advanced players, um, because people like to be noticed. I mean, everybody does, right? But if you can be humble enough to yeah. to compliment them and, and ask the question, and that's a great way to get to get help on the court. They might even be willing to to drill with you for a minute. You know, they'll say, "Hey, here, I'll show you. I do it this way." You know, and then they can have you yeah. have you practice it with them. Okay, sorry, what yeah, point not, are you going to next? Yeah, they're not going to shut you down. Chances are you're going to get some humble pie because you'll go in as this, per, you think that you can beat everybody just because you've watched the pros and you're like, that's easy, whatever they're doing. <laughs> then you'll go in, you play, and you're like, holy crap, this is actually pretty difficult playing against better players and people that have won tournaments, higher-ranked players and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But they'll all be willing to help you if they aren't that's a pretty rare person anyways so yeah top spin the thing that i the way that i like to teach it so i actually taught tennis when i from the age of 16 to 18 then i went on a mission for my church to england and came back and i taught tennis again from the age of 20 to 22 or around there and then i picked up pickleball and I've just been teaching pickleball on and off, practicing pickleball ever since then. I'm 25 now. So the way that I would like to teach it is you want to view a ramp in front of you, like a bike ramp you're going to shoot off mm -hmm. of. So they start low and then they come up high, but it's also coming out as it's progressing through. So I like to think about the top spin motion as out and up the ball. So I'm starting out and coming up. As I continue out, I'm not just coming straight up and down. That's not going to work. And I'm not just coming out. That's going to be more of a punch through the ball. I'm not going to get any spin. Mm -hmm. I don't want just spin and I don't want just punch. I want punch spin. So out and up. And I like to view that I'm coming up that ramp and I'm shooting off of it. But also something to pay attention to is my hand is in this position pointing towards the side fence to the left of me, because I'm a right-handed right player, as I'm hitting a backhand, it's pointed to the left of me, and I'm going to brush up, and I'm going to keep it pointed to that side fence. Mm -hmm. It'll start at the ground, pointed at the ground, and then pointed towards the side fence at the end. I'm rarely coming all the way up and over to hit that top spin because I don't need that extra spin over, and it's going to make it really hard for me to get back in ready position to hit that next shot as they speed it back right. if they get to it. And chances are in pickleball, they are going to get to it and it's going to come back. And that was a hard transition for me coming from tennis is 
you hit a nasty shot, it's not coming back. And so you don't even have to be ready for it to come back. But in pickleball, majority of the time the ball comes back because it's a freaking wiffle yeah. ball. So it's going to come back. So you have to be prepared and ready for it to come back. But hopefully that makes sense. I like to think about it as out and up. Yeah, and so out because you're that the out is bringing the ball forward and the up mm-hmm. is is putting the top spin on the ball or in other words eventually bringing the ball down once it goes over the net. And then for the backhand, same concept, correct? Yep, same thing backhand and forehand. I like it. Um let's talk about for a second high paceless dinks. So when I first started dinking, I was so afraid. Well, I still am so afraid to hit it in the net, depending on who you're playing with. It's like, no, I'm not going to lose a dink battle to this guy or this lady. (laughs) And you're so afraid to hit it in the net that you like, these are lofty, loopy, paceless dinks over the net that bounce high on the other end. Um, In the beginning, that's fine. Just practice getting it over the net, right? But over time, you want to... You want to be able to uh, bring the ball height down a little bit closer to the net tape. Uh, you want to keep it shallow so that it doesn't bounce super high so that the, so that the opponent can attack it. Um, if you play with someone that's uh, go out and play rec with, with somebody random that, that can attack the ball really well, you'll quickly learn not to hit high paceless dinks unless you unless you absolutely have to. So there's definitely a progression yeah. there um, of learning to put the top spin on it, learning to put a little bit more pace on it, learning to what's interesting, move them around. Yeah, go ahead. What, what's interesting about that is there's this uh, pro that I played with. This was a couple of months ago. His mm-hmm. name is Rob Davidson, and he's an old-time pro. He's been a pro for a long time. Yeah, and, solid. Uh, yeah, solid player. He, we, we played against each other in a rec game. Super good guy, by the way. And he would actually hit these lift dinks towards me high, and they would bounce. They were short enough to bounce, but they were like high bouncing so that they would bounce above the net. So I would speed it up because <laughs> he knew if he got in a hand battle with anybody, he was going to win that hand battle. So he would like try to set that up. So there is a strategy for those of you that are listening that are higher level. And that's what I would suggest for higher level players where you feel like you're the best player on the court. You can actually hit these lift dinks a little bit high and then just be ready because that speed up's coming and you just baited them into it and hook, line and sinker, take that thing in and hopefully you can shoot a winner off of it. But that's what he continued to do until I figured it out. I'm like, okay, man, this guy's just setting me up here. I'm just going to keep dinking it and dinking it and dinking it and dinking it instead. And purpose purposefully dinking it really, really helped. Let them speed it up. Chances are you're going to come out on top if they're the ones speeding it up um, at these, we say lower levels, but I just mean by lower levels, anything below pro. Right. You're going to come out on top majority of the time if you're the one that continues to dink and waits for them to pop it up or speed it up. Yeah, that's a great point, and th- and that's definitely happened to me, but I didn't I didn't even think about it. Um, but if somebody's baiting you into it and they know they're going to beat you on the counter, you know maybe it's a good idea just to dink back. Um, yeah. But if you know if you know someone doesn't have great hands, uh, you know that's another way to go too. Also, let's talk about moving your feet. Uh, something that's helped me tremendously and I'm I feel like I'm starting to finally figure it out 
um, even though I'm, I don't know, three years into this process now of playing pickleball. But like moving your feet can be so crucial. If somebody yeah. dinks it, and, and I'm just in all of pickleball, but specifically in dinks, if someone's hitting the ball at your feet or somewhere near your body, or someone's hitting dinks with a lot of pace to your left or to your right, uh, it's so important to be low and to move your feet. Um, something that helps me is staying, you know, with, with tennis, you always try to get sideways, right? And, and in pickleball, when you're dinking, you want to move your feet laterally as much as you possibly can. And you want to be facing the net. Um, exactly. Trying to, you know, move from side to side. And then I've found, too, that the lower I get, the better off I am, the more consistent I am when I'm really moving my feet and getting low. Um, for any of you that follow pro pickleball, I think about Anna Lee Waters uh, and how low she gets, or I think about Catherine Parento also, how, yeah. you know, there's lots of balls she shouldn't even be getting, but she's so low and she's trained herself and she's done workouts to be able to to get that low. Um, and both of them are so good at, at moving their feet. Os, what's something that uh, listeners can do to help them with their footwork, specifically with the dinks. Yeah, I like what you said about focusing on keeping your feet moving laterally. You don't want to close your body off to the court. So when you're hitting a dink on your left side, you should be using your left foot, mm -hmm. um, like keeping it out wide. I don't know how to describe it without showing you guys, but making sure that your left foot is still, you're still facing the net as you're hitting the dink mm -hmm. and lifting. If it's out wide on your right side, it should be your right foot is still facing the net. So you're not crossing your feet over. You're keeping an open stance. And that'll help it help you so that you're ready for that next ball to come back because you're so close to each other at the net that if you slightly pop it up and you turn your body and take a couple of extra steps and get to that ball and then you turn around, you're too late and they're probably going to handcuff you. Whereas if you can keep you, your body open, you'll be a whole lot quicker that's really what's helped me and something I've been focusing on is trying to keep like a goalie, how a goalie would, where they are trying to block the ball from getting into the net. They're focused on keeping their their body flush towards their opponents. And so you want to do that too and jump off of that that inside foot to come out to the outside and hit that dink. Keep your body just open toward towards the court. Does that make sense? Does that make oh, yeah. sense? You, you explained it great. Okay. Um, we'll have to, uh, if you check us out on, on Instagram, it's picklehead pod on Instagram. We'll throw some videos out there more on footwork here shortly. Uh, so follow us on there and we'll, and we'll show you that the goalie is, is a great example of that because they're trying to cover as much of the goal as they possibly can. Um, you want to make yourself big when you're dinking so that the opponents maybe won't, won't want to dink to you or in an effort to shrink the court. What I mean by shrink the court is if you can make yourself big and you can make it seem like you're everywhere with your footwork, your opponents will start to hit a lot or start to, to make a lot more errors because now they're trying to hit towards thin little areas of the court or they're trying to hit you know the line down the line and they'll probably miss wide. If you can 
if you can use your footwork, like I'm not a, I'm not a big person by any means. I'm, I'm five, eight and 150 pounds soaking wet, but I can kind of make myself seem bigger than I am. And like, I'm covering more court if I'm really moving my, moving my feet. I know it really throws me off when there's really good players that have really good footwork because I'm like, I don't want to hit on that side of the court. And the problem is that that side of the court ends up being like three quarters of the court because they're covering the court so well. And so it's like, okay, now I only have one quarter of the court to hit to. Or if I want to hit to their side, I only have this little sliver. Um, So footwork and getting low and uh, I guess kind of being like, like a goalie. Man, I like that analogy. That's a good idea. Being like a goalie, you're, you're covering so much more um, of the court. Yeah, I actually stole that from Federico Stackshrude when he came on our pod. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I just want to stress on, on this point, number three, uh, consistency comes from tons of drilling. Uh, drill as much as you can. Hit a 1,000 balls, and when you're done hitting a 1,000 balls, hit a 1,000 more. Uh, my drilling partner here in Vegas, um, he's the one that came up with it. He's actually a coach, but, uh, we have a dink drill that I'll quickly explain to you where we want to do 150 dinks consistently, but at the same time, we don't just want paceless dinks. You can start out that way. They can just be, you know, over the net. Uh, on the other side dinks and do 150 from the backhand side and then do 150 consecutively um, in front of each other and then uh, 150 from the forehand side Uh, just just trying to increase your dink game but what we do is so we'll count out loud and we'll say one and I'm trying to make them difficult dinks for him at the same time I'm going to his inside foot I'm going wide I'm, I'm going at his body. I'm going short. Um, and so we'll count back and forth. One, two, three, right? <laughs> Obviously, we all know how to count. But if we miss, then you have to subtract 20 from your number. So say we get to 17, you know, 16, 17. Somebody missed. Now we got to start at negative three because um, we just subtract 20 from our number. You know, say say we get to we get to 140, we're almost there, and we miss, then we go back to 120, and so on and so forth. Um, that has helped me increase my, uh, improve my dink game tremendously. Oh, that's cool. Just doing 150 from from each location. Before we move on to number four, Oz, what's something that you do to improve your your dinks, especially during drilling? Yeah, I think drilling, but having like different drills to do for dinking, so that it's not just over and over again, you're doing the same exact drill. That can get yeah. kind of boring. But we have done something similar to that drill where we would do a 100 or sometimes we'd do 75. And it was like once you got to your 75th, it's now your partner's turn. So in specific, it was with drops that I know we've done that because one partner's at the net, the other partner's at the baseline. Once you get to your 75, mm-hmm. didn't matter if you missed. So I really like your rule about when you miss can you just explain that one more time? When you miss, yeah. you go back how many and why? You, yeah, you go back 20. Okay. So it's you want to cons- we we do a consecutive 150, you know, if you're if you pick your number, maybe you're more of a, get, a beginner and you wanted to get 50 in a row. 
So say you go back 10, that's what I would suggest. That's cool. And so you get to, you get to number 30 and then you guys miss. Well, now you're back at 20, 21, you know, get, get all the way to 50 before you move to a new spot. At least that's what I've done. And that's, that's helped me. Um, yeah. It, it becomes, it gets, it gets really competitive too with whoever you're drilling with, regardless of who it is, even if it isn't a competitive person, like they want to be able to, to hit, um, more difficult dinks. And then, and then you do also. So you're kind of bouncing off each other, getting better at the dink. Yeah. I really like that. At, at least that's, that's a good example. So my app that's coming out, it's a drilling app and it's every single week you guys will have three new drills that will come in per skill. So an example of a skill would be dinking, just like how we're talking about today, or dropping or volleying or hitting your ground strokes or drives. You'll get three drills. One of the drills will be cooperative, which cooperative means you guys are working together. Uh, You're not hitting extremely hard shots. You're just kind of warming up your shots for the next drill. And then the next drill is cooperative Mm. competitive which is kind of an example of what Spencer's talking about where you guys are competing towards the same goal as each other. So an example of a drill for that, and there'll be tons of drills like this on the app is trying to get to a certain number uh, in a row without missing. So you get the competitive aspect, but you're also working together to get to that number. So an example for this would be dinking. You guys want to get to 25 dinks in a row without missing. So you're working together, but you also have that same pressure that you would feel as you were playing in a tournament or playing even in a rec game against people that you wanted to beat. And then the last part of the drilling session is competitive drills, which is just straight up you guys feel like the exact same way that you would feel in a tournament. And I think structuring your drilling sessions in that way is the superior way of drilling because you first get that warm up, then you get the competitive aspect while working together and you get that consistency growing while you're being competitive. And that's just straight competitive, like how you'd feel in a tournament. And that's going to help you guys to be able to play better when you play in tournaments or when you play in your rec game against your grandma and she's just owning you because (laughs) you're stressing out. Like I shouldn't be losing to my grandma right now, but you are. So it gives you a good opportunity to, to put yourself in that real situation. Anyways, that's the Pickleball Playbook app. Just wanted to insert that. Should be out here soon. Um, It's supposed to be this week, but uh, whenever the app developer says that something's going to happen, it's usually about a month behind. (laughs) So I would imagine it'll be here by July. but it's close. Yeah, it's close. And, and, And meanwhile, you guys can all follow Austin on Pickleball Playbook on Instagram. And he'll be updating you on there when that when that app is out. I think it's that app can be huge for so many people because a lot of people want to go and practice, and then they have no idea what to practice when they get there, and then they end up doing the same thing that they did before, and then it just turns into rec play. Yeah. And so they're not really getting better. But Boring. Uh, I think this app is there's nothing like it out there. So it'll be really cool to have your own personal you know coach in your pocket that can kind of show you what to do and and how to do it so yeah, i'm excited yeah for that's it. cool awesome there's a free version and there's going to be a paid for version paid for version is going to be a lot better but you guys will still have drills to do on the free version so it'll be good love it let's talk about number four which is when to dink 
the first obvious answer is to dink when the ball is hit low to you. Like you mentioned earlier, um, if you're at the net and you get a low ball, it's typically not a good idea uh, to speed that ball <laughs> up. Every once in a while, I guess you can you can speed that try. ball up to kind of throw your opponent off guard. Yeah, give but it a try. Yeah, if you if you do it do it more than <laughs> more than once, it's just not a good idea. So when so when we dink, uh, we're dinking when that ball is is dinked to us or when that ball is low. So we want to go from somehow go from defense to offense, but sometimes that can take uh, you know ten shots. Sometimes that can take twenty dinks before we finally get a high enough ball that, that we can attack. Um, and if you do get a high ball, uh, for the most part, attack it. There are situations where if someone's baiting you and they want you to attack it, you can always attack the other person or you can keep you can keep dinking. Um, what were you going to say, Oz? Yeah, it's weird because when you're first starting out or even when you've been playing for a few months and you're playing against better players, you will... Just think to yourself, man, it's like it, it's boring to just dink and you don't really have a strategy in your mind. So like figuring out when mm-hmm. to dink and also where to dink to really, really helps with that. But focusing more so on not speeding up the ball because you want to go, you don't want to go into a match or into rec play just saying, okay, all I'm going to do is just dink. That's my whole goal. It shouldn't be your whole goal. Yeah. It's it's weird because you have to find that balance where it's like, here's a pop-up, a ball that's a little bit higher. That one you got to speed up. So, yeah. and I know I'm kind of contradicting what I said earlier where you want to practice, where you want to practice one thing. But the only way that you're going to get better is if you're specifically practicing something that you're working on. So if it is that you're working on dinking, then by all means, strictly just dink for that entire rec game. Just try it out, and your dink will really, really improve. Not as much as it would improve yeah. drilling because you're going to be hitting a lot more balls. But if you're focused on, like how I was, recognizing the right opportunities to speed up and stuff like that, then you should be focusing more so on that, but at the same time still erring towards dinking if you're not sure. If you're not sure, just always, always dink, and then your decision making will be a lot, a lot better. And that's what I've found with my game, is my decision making has become a lot better. I still make stupid decisions, all the time, where I'll speed up a stupid ball, like that was dumb. And sometimes it works out, like Spencer was saying, like try it out, it might work out. That it, a lot of it mm-hmm. is trial and error and figuring that out. But I would say error on the side of just dinking. I like that. That's good advice. Another thing, um, when it comes on, on um, when we're talking about when to dink, another thing that comes to my mind is you have bangers out there. For those of you that aren't familiar with the term, is people that hit the ball really hard, and their whole focus the whole time is hitting the ball really hard. And some kind, sometimes that can be really intimidating. Um, this person might not have as much skill as you do in pickleball, but you know, say they came from tennis and they're just sitting there killing the ball and killing the ball. The best thing you can do in that situation is to start dinking that person because they just want to speed it up. Um, and, uh, that, that intimidation will kind of go away because now you're dinking at their feet. If they speed it up, you're ready to attack it. Or if they speed it up too hard, they're going to hit it out of bounds. 
yeah. you know, just be, be willing to let that ball go. Um, so if you are feeling intimidated, you're feeling like, wow, these guys are attacking, 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 try to get to a point where you can, you can dink that person and, and get it down at their feet and consistently dink them, make them dink. Um, if they want to speed it up to you, you can, you can hit it right. You can attack it because that ball is going in an upward trajectory. Um, and they, and they might be hitting it too high. They might be hitting it out. Uh, is that decent advice, Haas? What, what would you say on your end as far as, as far as when to dink, when are some situations? Just all the time, as much as you can until you get a pop-up, until you get an opportunity to be offensive, you should be dinking and focusing on dinking offensively until you get that opportunity. I think you nailed it on the head with everything that you said. Yeah, and so, so again, let's talk about defense and offense. You want to dink defensively until you can dink offensively. Yeah. So as a beginner, defensive dinks. And, and then once you can consistently hit offensive dinks, uh, your game is going to be so much better because you're setting yourself up over and over for, for attacks. Um, so trying to create, like you said, trying to create that offense in a way through defense uh, can be yeah. huge. And you think about the pros, you think about certain pros that are really, really good at offense, certain pros that are really, really good at defense. And then there's the Ben Johns that's good at offense and defense. So if you can figure yeah. out both, and I think a lot of the time it comes from a neutral standpoint as well, where it's like you want to be neutral with your dinks to where you're not offensive or defensive. You're just kind of getting that ball in a good location rather than making mm -hmm. your opponent run because odds are as you're first starting out or even if you've been playing for a while, odds are if you try to be offensive with the dink majority of the time, you're going to miss a lot more than if you try to just be neutral with that ball. You'll be able to hit a lot more. Inconsistent. Yeah. Be consistent with it. Hit yeah. a lot more balls in. Yeah. That uh, triggered in my mind something that I do want to stress is if you can, for me, it helps a ton to watch film, especially to watch the pros play. Same. Um, if I can, if I can watch a lot and I know it's not that way for everybody, but I know it can be at least somewhat beneficial for everybody to hop on YouTube, watch some of the previous ones, watch it live uh, with PPA or APP. And uh, if you go to PPA Tour on, on YouTube or you go to APP Tour on YouTube or you can go to Major League Pickleball on YouTube and watch some of those players play, that can help you with your dink game a ton because you mentioned Ben Johns, best player in the world. He knows when to dink. Um, he knows when to speed it up and, uh, I'm a visual learner personally. And so watching those helped me to know, you know, when to dink and, and all these other points of how to dink, uh, anything hey, else really on quick. when to dink? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Really quick. Just building off of that. Ben Johns just played. We just finished. What is it? The Texas open or something? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it was Texas. Just finished the Texas Open. He triple crowned, which means he won doubles, men's doubles. He won mixed doubles with Annalie Waters, and then he won singles. So he got a triple crown. When he was playing men's doubles and mixed doubles, particularly in men's doubles, I, well, 
out of out of men's doubles and mixed doubles, I could count on one hand the amount of times that he sped up a ball. Yeah. Where where the ball wasn't um I mean even off the bounce. A low ball, I, a ball. I want to say three times. Uh. Yeah. Where he sped it up just to kind of surprise his opponents. Other than that, he's just a dinking machine. So he'll dink, but it's really good offensive dinking where and great defensive dinking where people will hit it like right at his feet or hit it kind of behind him and he puts it back in the kitchen because that's what he's drilled. All he does is drill outside of playing in tournaments. He does not play any rec games. Maybe once in a blue moon, he'll play with some buddies or something like that. But for the most part, all he does is drill. And that's why his dinks are so devastatingly good is because all he does is dink. He doesn't speed up stupid shots. He waits for a good opportunity to hit yeah. hit his dinks. So Good point. If you If you want to improve your dink game, if you want to improve your pickleball game overall, Focus on drilling more than playing. Um, I've heard from other pros, 80-20. 80% being drilling and 20% being playing. Try to focus more yeah. on drilling. If, if, you're, if you're wanting to get better, uh, definitely. And obviously, you're going to want to play. You're going to want to play against different people to, to get better. So I'm not saying don't, don't play at all. Uh, but at the same time, drilling can be so beneficial for your game. All right. No. Playing's supposed to be fun, right? Yeah. So I, I play because it's fun, but I'm really not going to get a ton better unless I'm out drilling. That's the only way that I'm going to really improve my game because I'm going to hit so many more balls. I'm going to focus on specific things. Love it. Number five, where to dink. Uh, so we want to dink, if I'm given a real basic definition, we want to dink in the non-volley zone. Uh, so that's the seven foot deep rectangle that's in front of the net. Uh, that's typically the area where we want to dink because someone cannot hit a volley out of the air if they are within, you know, stepping within that, uh, that rectangle. They, they'd have to let it bounce first. So the dink needs to go there. And as we've mentioned um, a bunch of times, you want to be able to move the ball around over time. Uh, within the non-volley zone, not just hitting the same spot. Start with hitting the same spot and then move that ball around until you can consistently uh, move that ball around with the dink and cause a pop-up. And then another place on where to dink would be that the net is lower in the middle than it is on the sides. So it's 36 inches at the posts or at both ends of the net. And then it tapers down in the middle and gives you two more inches. So it's 34 inches right in the middle. So when you're dinking, if you're worried about hitting the net as you get more aggressive, as you um, maybe speed up those dinks a little bit or put more topspin on it, your safer location is typically over the middle of the net. So if, if you want to hit backhand to backhand across court, you're going over the middle of the net. Forehand to forehand over the middle of the net, uh, you can dink middle. You can always you can always dink straight across from you, but keep in mind that the net's a little bit higher there, so that's maybe something else uh, you could drill. As far as where to dink, Oss, uh, what's your suggestion uh, as as far as where to go? Not necessarily who, because that's our last point, um, but but where to dink to. I'm glad you told me not to say who. That that was the last <laughs> point. <laughs> Otherwise, I would jump the gun. Building off of that, cross court 
let's start with middle. So I want to dink middle when I'm in a defensive position. So if someone pulls me way out wide, I want to dink back up to the middle rather than trying to pull them back out wide. Because I'm in a defensive spot, it's going to be a lot harder for me to hit it all the way back over cross yeah. court. It's a lot smarter decision. You'll see this with the pros. They get pulled way out wide. They just dink it right up the middle, and then they close back into the middle just in case someone wants to speed it up. What that does is it neutralizes the point because your angles on the court aren't nearly as big from the middle. And we just saw this with Leia Jansen. She's a professional. She played against Annalie Waters, who's number one woman in the world, in singles. And she took a game off of her. She had some match points, some game points, but she still lost. And it was pretty devastating for her because she her record is one in 18, one in 17. I think it's one in 17 against Annalie Waters. But this time <laughs> she was so extremely close to beating her because she took away Annalie's angles by strictly hitting the ball up the middle. Because when you hit up the middle, the court becomes smaller. If you hit out wide, they can either go down the line or they can pull it way cross court. And so you kind of just have to guess where you're going. So it neutralizes the point by dinking to the middle. And I think it's something that you have to go stand out on a court and try and hit angles from the middle and then go stand on the side of the court and try to hit angles from the side of the court. And you'll see that you have a lot more opportunities at angles from the side of the court as compared to the middle of the court. So if you're in a defensive position, dink middle. Majority of the time, you want to be dinking cross. And by majority of the time, I mean 98% of the time, you want either Mm -hmm. cross or middle. Because like Spencer said, the net's higher straight straight across, but also the court is longer as you go across. You have like an extra... I don't know how many feet, but you have a ton of extra feet, probably four or five extra feet to hit to margin of error. So it makes a whole lot more sense. And also people can't Ernie as you get to higher levels. They can't jump over the side of the kitchen when you're doing it cross court more. So that's what I'd say about the where is making sure that you're focusing on going middle and cross majority of the time and not straight up the line. Yeah, it's no fun to get Ernie. Real quick, I'll explain the Ernie just for those that might not be aware. Um, Like you said, if you're dinking straight across from you and the other person jumps the kitchen, they can hit that ball over the air, out of the air, and land on the side of the court. And that's a legal shot, and it's no fun being tagged with the ball that way or losing (laughs) the point that way. Not saying never go there. If you do want to go there, practice it. But to be uh, more consistent and to um, decrease the offense of the opponent, like Austin said, try to go. I mean, that's a really good point. Try to go. It's easier to go um, wide or or middle or cross court or or middle. Yeah, if you want to feel and like then, an if you want to feel like yeah, an ahead. absolute child, dink it up up the line and then have someone jump the line and just smack a forehand right at you You're like even me as a 5-0 player which pros are so much better than 5-0s by the way just so you guys know but even me as a 5-0 player if I put a ball up the line and I get earned it's just humiliating absolutely you feel like yeah you feel like a little child so if you want to that's what you do yeah yeah it's not fun for sure especially if you're in a tournament in rec play, oh, yeah. it hurts, but it hurts even more <laughs> in a tournament. It like gives the momentum to the other team. Yeah, um, especially when they're tool bags. 
<laughs> as who to dink to. Um, the first point I'm going to make as far as who to dink to is figure out on the other team during warm-ups, watch the other team while they're warming up before you guys start, figure out who is not as good at dinking. And if they're both not, well, dink, dink to both of them, right? But um, So that would be my first point is try to, try to figure out, uh, he doesn't seem very comfortable with dinking. Like I see a lot of speeding up. Let's test that out a little bit and let's, let's dink them to death. I mean, you've heard probably probably heard people, excuse me, probably heard people say, you know, dink, dink them to death. Well, maybe so, and just wait wait for that pop up. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, us as far as who to dink to? Yeah. So it depends on if I'm playing rec game or if I'm playing in a tournament. If I'm playing mm-hmm. rec game, I'm going to dink to the best player there because the best player there is going to give me the best opportunity to improve my game. And I think a misconception a lot that a lot of the time, me and Spencer have talked about this is. You get into a rec game and you want to win the rec game. And so it's like, if you want to win the rec game, just be the best player there. That's what it comes down to. And the way that you become the best player there is by hitting to the best player there. And then you replace them because all you've done is hit to the best player there. And you've taken all that they have to offer and you've exceeded them. And it's not going to happen in one rec game, but over a period of time, as you continuously hit to the better player, you're going to get better and... On top of that, you're going to get invited out by that better player a ton more often, as well as other better players, and you're going to go up levels higher because they'll want to play against you because you hit the ball to them. And I know yeah. that's something that's extremely frustrating for a 5-0 player like myself is I'm down to play with anybody as long as they can keep a little bit of a rally, you know, so long mm-hmm. as they hit the ball to me. But if they're just like, oh, I beat Austin, and they're super excited about it. And I saw three balls the entire rec game. Yeah. Zero chance I'm ever playing with you again, first of all. Second of all, zero chance you're ever going to be better than me or ever going to be better than the level that you're currently at. You're just not going to move up levels. That being said, if I'm in a tournament and uh, and all I'm figuring out is who's, who's the weaker player, I'm going to first of all dig yes. to that player. I'm going to hit to that player 100% because it's a tournament. And I want to win the tournament. And if they chose to play in this level and they're not nearly as good as their partner, it's like, Hey partner, get a better partner, you know? Right. And all I'm going to do is strictly hit to that person. So I think there's a balance in there, but if you guys want to move up levels, dink to the better player in rec games in tournaments, dink to the worst player and win that, win that tournament, get that W. Oh, that's such a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Building off of that. If you notice that there's a group of five O's that are playing, you know, where, wherever you play rec and you'd like to play with them, but you know that you're not as good. Or you notice there's a group of four or fives that consistently play together. You're like, man, I'm not as good as these guys, but I'd like to kind of get in there and play with them. Uh, like Austin said, if you can get in there and you finally get that opportunity to play with them, don't just hit it to the lesser of the two players uh, because you yeah. won't get invited again. But then also, if you're unable to get in to play with them, one thing you can do, and I've heard this idea before, is um, offer to pay somebody to play with you. Get their phone number uh, to either drill with you or play with you and say, hey, I know I'm not as good as you guys, but I'd like to get better. Uh, You know, can I pay you 20 bucks or can I buy you lunch after if you guys will play some games with me? Um, Typically, it doesn't need to go that far, but I've heard other pros say that too as they're working their way up and trying to improve their game. Um, You know, offer offer to buy them lunch 
And sometimes just those three games that you play with them gets you way better. And then, like Austin said, if you're playing the more difficult player, then your game's improving on top of that, and you'll be able to to play with them, uh, you know, more than just than just once. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I think. And, sorry, one more point, real yeah. quick on on who to dink to, um, and and we kind of already covered this, but if if somebody if somebody is speeding up the ball a lot, um, because if you can tell it's because they don't want to dink, not because they're so good they can speed everything up, they can speed it up from low, they can go anywhere they want, but just because they're uncomfortable dinking, uh, I would definitely suggest dinking to dinking to that person. And and I'm talking about tournament play here, not necessarily improving your own game, but just dinking to uh, the person that just wants to speed it up because they because they don't want to dink. Uh, you still remember your thought now that I cut you off? Yeah, I do. I um I totally agree with that too. And sometimes they'll catch fire, so then it's like okay, dink to the other person, and then when that yeah. doesn't work. Or another great strategy is to dink to a specific location. And then obviously you want to make sure that you're changing it up. But dinking to where you're most comfortable, first of all, I think is the most important thing where you're going to get the most shots in consistently that will make your opponents, that'll make it hard for your opponents to speed up a ball. After that, it comes down to pinning your opponent. So a good strategy that I like to use is I will pin one opponent and I'll talk to my partner. Okay, we're going to pin this guy. He's probably the weaker of the two in a tournament. We're going to pin whoever it is against the sideline. So we're going to hit every dink to that corner. I'm going to close middle if I'm playing on the right side, and we're dinking it to the right side, so even side to even side. I'm going to close the middle with my backhand in the middle. My partner's going to close the line, and we're just going to dink, 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 dink over and over and over again into that corner on the even side until we get a pop-up. It'll make Mm -hmm. that person feel like the court is two feet wide. It'll make them feel like the kitchen is like two feet wide and they have nowhere to go. So I call it pinning. I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's a strategy that I've come up with. You pin that person, you'll get a pop-up. And then just like I said earlier, be ready after you speed it up for that ball to come back because it's probably going to come back because it's a wiffle ball. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I call it pinching, but same concept. It's it's such a good point, and one thing to that you can even add to that. So if you're pinning someone, someone's playing on the left, on the yeah. opposite court, you're pinning them. Uh, on your end, you're pinning them to your right yeah. side of the court. Uh, so the person that's playing on the right will then also have the opportunity to Ernie when they need to, because like you said, that person over there feels so much pressure because you have them pinned. So if you need to, then that person can hop the kitchen and Ernie or volley the ball out of the air. And it works the same on the other side. But like we were mentioning with the goalie earlier, it just makes the court seem so small and there's so much pressure and nowhere to go that uh, typically it just ends in them missing a dink rather or or them popping it up. So, uh, man, awesome point. I'm glad you included that in there. What will typically happen as you pinch them over is they'll try to go way cross court because nobody's over there and you're kind of pretty much in the middle. So they'll try to go way cross court. And either what happens is they set you up for an around the net post shot because they blew it way too far out wide. So you sprint out there and you can hit that ball 
around the net post. You don't have to go over the net. You can go around it and hit it into the Mm -hmm. court. And typically you'll win the point right there. But like I said, be ready for it to come back. And then if they don't hit there, I mean, their margins are so small, but if they don't hit there, it's going to be, they'll try for it. And since your positioning is in the middle of the court, you have better reach at their ball as they're way far out wide. You'll be able to take that ball out of the air majority of the time. Their margins are just really, really small for, for hitting it in there, not setting you up for an ATP. But that's where I like to dink, and then I just really like to change it up and specifically dink towards the player's backhand. Chances are the people that you're playing, their backhands are a lot weaker. Try to get it at their feet, mm-hmm. at their backhands, over and over and over again, but then also not becoming too predictable changing it up yeah that's great advice yeah i would suggest anyone go out there and try it some of these things that we've talked about uh see what works for you and if it doesn't work right away uh it should work over time it's worked for us um most anything that i've tried in pickleball hasn't worked the first time or hasn't worked the way i thought it would right away but then over time with lots of drilling lots of practice uh, it's gotten better so those are our, our six Six steps or six points to the dink. Um, we uh, we hope you enjoyed those. If you have further questions about them, leave us a comment. Let us know whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple or uh, watching on Spotify. Feel free to comment on there um, and send us your questions. And we're also consistently uh, posting things on Instagram. Austin on Pickleball Playbook. You can follow there. Both of us on Picklehead Pod on Instagram. Uh, Check us out. We're trying to give you as many tips as we can. If you're interested in improving your game, uh, we'd love to to help you out. Right, Austin? Exactly. Yeah, we appreciate you guys being with us. Hopefully, you guys have found some value. And uh, hopefully, this will help you guys to improve your dink. And that is it. Appreciate you guys being with us. We'll see you later. Later, pickleheads.